Good morning. How's everybody doing? I feel like it was 60 degrees last week, and then it's like 100. This is like Oregon up and down, right? Can't find, find the middle. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. Every uh, four or five weeks, we have an experiential service. That's today. So I know when I say that, anxiety starts to rise. Uh, our goal in that is that uh, a lot of times with our services, you sit and you think, and that's good. That's an important part of being an apprentice of Jesus, but it's a full-bodied experience. So we want to try to provide some, some things that you can get up out of your chair and do some things if you want to. It's all obviously volunteers. So I'll tell you what we're doing today to kind of lower anxiety. It's something we did uh, four weeks ago, I think, five weeks ago. We have these two boards. We have our release board and our reveal board. We're in this series that we're looking at questions that serve as barriers to seeing the way of Jesus as good and beautiful and true. And uh, we're looking at, at 10 of those questions. So throughout the series, you may have realized or come into the series with things that were already there that you're like, I'm angry about this. I don't know what I think about this. This is a significant barrier to seeing the way of Jesus is good and beautiful and true. And we're asking humbly that you release those. And maybe uh, you, in, throughout the series, as you worked through those questions and read some stuff and listened and talked, you've gotten to a release point. And for some of you, that'll be an act of faith. It'll be a prayer that you want to release that. Uh, so you'll have an opportunity later to get up out of your seat, go over and write that down and pin that up on the board as a prayer. And then the reveal would be, uh, as we work through these significant things, you're like, wow, I never thought of that like that before. That's a new revelation to me, and I'm excited about that, and I'm grateful for that, and that's another way. So it's kind of like lament and praise or lament and hope. So there it is. That'll be the main way that you'll respond, and we'll do that a little bit later. We also uh, have an interview that I'll be doing in a couple minutes. Um, is, let, me, let me frame up the last four weeks, because we want you principally with the boards to be thinking about these last four weeks. So maybe this is, you're here as a guest, this is, you missed a few weeks, totally okay. Uh, four weeks ago we looked at, is the Bible sexist? And we answered that simply, go, you can find all the messages online, but that Jesus restores women to being who they were created to be uh, equal partners uh, with men. Uh, how can we say there's only one true faith? Denise did a great job with that question. It's a hard question. Uh, there are things in this world that are both inclusive and exclusive. One of those I point out is if you ever cut, cut through mountains, there's usually one road through the mountain. There's not like, hey, you can go these six ways through this mountain. There's the one road, but it's open to everyone. Uh, people would ask me this question. I'd say, well, this is, it's inclusive, uh, but it's also exclusive because Jesus is the only way. Literally, it is the only way. The world's so messed up that God putting on flesh and coming here to bear uh, our sin and, and death is the only way, but it's open to everyone, and that's the inclusive nature of it. Uh, do we have to choose between science and faith? Simply put, no. Uh, we talked about how we misdefine uh, both those words, and so we have this false opposition, kind of blind faith, and what we call scientism, which science is everything. And of course, those things would conflict, but seeing science as a study of nature is, is, what, it, is the word, what the word means, and seeing faith as reasonable, those things go together and fit together like a glove. Our line was uh, God's glory, or God's uh, world reveals God's glory. When we look and we consider, that's a science word, the lilies of the field, and you know the psalms that we looked at that week, and we consider 
that's a science word, it reveals God's glory. And, uh, and so we did a little of that with photos that week, if you were here. And then last week was a tough one, if you were here. And that's maybe the hardest question in the entire series, especially for those of you in the throes of suffering. And we kept on asking, when uh, suffering comes, not, not if, how will you respond? And we talked about frameworks. We all have frameworks that we consider suffering in, the, the atheist framework or the no-God framework, the karma framework uh, that we called it. And then we laid out the biblical framework, which had kind of four sides of the frame, if you remember. God loves us, God grieves with us, God shares and bears our sufferings, and God will make all things right. If we place our suffering within that framework, when we look at it, then we can possibly see how we, what Scripture says again and again and again, that God can actually use our suffering for good. So just as a reminder and a review, maybe as a catalyst as you go to the boards uh, later. Let me uh, read our Scripture today, our public reading of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, uh, please feel free to open and read along. It is from Matthew 14, 22 through 23. We're going to be talking and having a conversation with two of my friends today about this idea of doubt and deconstruction, which in, in a series like this, those things uh, come to the, the front. And so we want to discuss those things. So Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in to the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was alone there and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we can be a little more gusto there. This is the word of the Lord. I was a youth pastor for many years. It's, I, I love my job presently, but I think that was probably my favorite job of all time. Uh, I just loved working with the next generation, with kids. And one of the things we would do every year is have an all-nighter for our middle school ministry, which is a horrible idea, if you ever wondered. Like, just don't, it always sounds good when you're planning it. Like, this is a ridiculous idea. And so as we learn more how to do that in a sane way, uh, we would fill the night with, with fun things to do. So we were in, I was in Madison, Wisconsin at the time, and about an hour away in the Dells, if you've ever been there, they had like an extreme adventure park. And you go in and you pay money and you do all these crazy things. And I have a pretty, uh, pretty intense fear of heights. I've always tried to conquer it. So we would drive in. I remember this like it was yesterday. And uh, the main attraction was bungee jumping. And it was 110 feet up. And I knew the moment we walked into the parking lot, I was going to have to do that. Because I was a youth pastor, right? And I was going to get, like, taunted and shamed by the students if I didn't do it. And, of course, they're like, yes, I can't wait. And I'm like, you guys are morons. You're complete morons. 
So sure enough, I knew I had to do it. Let's go, Pastor John, I want to do this. And so, you know, big group of kids, we get in line, and, and I'm just sitting there, like, for about an hour and a half, just watching person after person dive off this platform. <laughs> it's just a complete insanity and getting more and more nervous, but trying to look cool like I had it all together for the kids. And finally, it was my time, and, and it was about a, a 20 by 20 platform. You walk, you climb a ladder all the way, to, you're 110 feet up. And there was a, a young woman, uh, she looked like she was like 14. She was probably 19, I, I was hoping, and she was in charge. And so she's putting these things on my feet, and I'm praying and hoping she paid attention in training and that she wasn't distracted with a romance she was having. Or, you know, I'm just like, God, help me. And we're small talking, and then she's like, all right, you're ready, you can jump. And so you're on the edge here, and uh, you, you're supposed to dive headfirst off the, off the platform, just into thin air. And then you go all the way down, and you get within like 10 feet of the ground, and then you pop back up, and then you go down again. You do that like six times. It's just, I paid for this. Can you believe I paid for this? So I ended up jumping. I, I, to this day, I don't know if it, was, if it was faith or just fear of being shamed by the youth group if I had to go back down the ladder. I just, I think... It, uh, so I dove, and it was just, it, I had no fun at all, and uh, got done with it. And uh, it's an example to me as I think back of this principle of faith and doubt. In that moment, I expressed both, and that action expressed both. Uh, and I think that both are commingled all the time in our, our faith lives. I, uh, I define, you can define doubt a lot of different ways. There's one main Greek word, pistis, and and uh, DJ is here. You wrote a book on it, Jesus, you should be talking about. But it's a wide range. But I like to think it has two main components. I say faith is built on reason and brought to life through action. So think of it simply this way. Faith thinks. It's not blind. It's reasonable. So when I got up there, I'm watching person after person after person do it and not die. And I'm thinking, well, the state of Wisconsin had to certify this place. They're making money. People are coming here and paying. So that was the reasonable side of this. I know even though I'm scared to death, this is reasonable. But faith is also brought to life by action. If I were to go back down the ladder, that's not faith. Faith means jumping, a, a leap of faith, as, as, as Kierkegaard would say. So faith thinks and faith works to be biblical faith. So what is doubt? I think we misconstrue that term. If you look it up in the dictionary, it, it means uh, to simply to be uncertain. The Greek word means just to hesitate a little bit, but to be uncertain. And we think, and this is a, a grave misnomer, we think the opposite of faith is doubt, and it's not. And so we demonize doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. And so when we're having faith, there's always going to be doubt that's commingled in. Uh, so living by faith, think of it this way, we're called as followers of Jesus to live by faith. Living by faith involves living with doubt. So I think we can do that well, or we can do that not well. Just like there's a thing called bad faith, there's bad doubt. So we as followers of Jesus who are called to live by faith, we're always going to have doubts we're wrestling with. Uh, back to the Peter story. Uh, it's remarkable the faith that Peter showed. No one else got out of the boat. No one else said, call me to you, yourself on the water, Jesus. He actually walked the water. That's incredible. And when he started to doubt or doubt got in the kind of the captain's seat of his life and he started to sink, how did God incarnate? How did Jesus respond to his doubt? Was it judgy? Was it angry? I think we read that in the text. I don't think so. Jesus responded by grabbing him and coming forward and, and actually inquiring into his doubt. Like, why do you doubt, Peter? Let's talk about this. Like, let's have this conversation. You think of doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rap. Uh, all the other disciples had seen Jesus physically. Thomas hadn't been there. 
Thomas wanted to see. He wanted to know. Wouldn't we? Yes. So when Jesus shows up in the room that day and he finally is face to face with Thomas, he starts by looking right at Thomas and he says, come here, come here, touch. There's no judgment. It's an invitation. And so I think those are two examples that we have this misnomer that faith is, or doubt is bad. It's not bad. It can be. Uh, it can be destabilizing. It can be a barrier. It can also be a great catalyst to our faith. So that's kind of what we want to do today. Our, our heart is and our prayer is to redeem doubt a little bit, uh, to have a conversation because everybody in this room is going to have doubts in their life. And I'm going to invite two of my friends, uh, David and Sherry, to the stage to have a conversation about that very thing. So can you welcome them, please? All right, welcome. So I know some of the folks here may know one or both of you, and, and many may not. So why don't you just give us a brief intro as to who you are? Yeah, hi, everybody. Um, my name is David Greco. I am, uh, I am a apprentice to Jesus. I am a husband to Emily, who I hope I do not embarrass today. I am. Uh, I, I work as an advocate for children in the church through a ministry called Compassion International. I've been doing that for about 12 years or something like that. Um, and then I'm an artist. And my involvement here at New Hope for the last few years, I think we've been around maybe five or six years, something like that, um, uh, is, is to serve on the, the music part of the worship experience that we have here together. So sometimes I'm playing guitar, sometimes I'm singing um, and saying things that I wish I hadn't said uh, that I think about all week long. Uh, but anyway, that, that's it. David also makes his own music, which I think is, he's really gifted. So you can uh, do, the, do the Google thing and you can find it. So mm -hmm. Sherry, tell us who you are. Hi, everybody. I'm Sherry Phillips, and my husband Scott and I have been part of New Hope for six years. And I serve on the Elder Board. I've been uh, with the Elder Board for four years. Um, my life's work is a spiritual director, and I don't know if you've ever heard of that term before, but I, I prefer to describe it as a soul companion or a soul friend, a personal pastor. Um, I get to sit with people as they talk about their relationship with God, and I get a chance to just walk with them um, one hour a month, typically, and listen to what God's doing in their life. And uh, so we, we uh, work a lot around this area of faith and doubt consistently. Yeah, uh, Sherry is on the elder board. So we have an elder board here in New Hope that leads our church. So she's my boss. So if you have complaints, there she is. You can, you can talk to her, to her later. I, uh, I have a spiritual director. I have a therapist as well. I just need a, a whole team of people around my, my brokenness. And I, uh, I have people all the time. I was just with a bunch of pastors the other day who were asking, like, what is spiritual direction? I hear you talking about how valuable it is. And it probably oversimplifies it. But I've heard it explained that therapists or counselors work primarily on the horizontal relationships that are broken in your life, and we all have those. And spiritual directors, uh, they're not counselors, but they're trained listeners. They're, they're locked into kind of what the Spirit of God is doing in the room, and they're helping you process through with good questions and listening what's going on vertically. And I think it's invaluable. Uh, we all do spiritual direction, so we have spiritual directors, and, and it's really shaped our journey uh, with Jesus. And then David uh, works uh, over a large region with Compassion, and his job is to kind of take pastors like me out to lunch and take us on trips to see the incredible work Compassion's doing all over the world. Thank you for being here today. Um, David, let's, let's start with you. We're kind of talking about this idea of doubt or 
this word deconstruction has been a hot word. Um, maybe you've heard it before, maybe you had it, and again, like that, I think it gets a bad rap, in my opinion, because I think there can be bad ways to do it in destructive ways, and there can be really good ways to do it. Um, so uh, I know we're good friends, I know a little bit of your journey. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how uh, you've wrestled with doubt in your relationship with Jesus and your journey. Yeah, I mean, the, the way that I, I think about it, it was uh, so, um, right out of, well, so I grew up in the church. My dad is a pastor. My first unpaid internship was when I was five years old, and I would go with him to church and start and help set up chairs. And um, uh, not the last unpaid internship that I had, though. Um, and then I eventually became a worship pastor. I served at three different churches along the West Coast um, and ended up at a church in San Francisco uh, where Emily and I were living at the time. And um, there, yeah, there was an Easter Sunday in 2010 that I was leading the church in singing these prayers together, and I just found myself not believing the words that I was singing. And it had been uh, months and months of wrestling through questions, a lot of questions like the ones that we're talking about in this series here, um, questions about why why does God allow evil? Uh, why is there brokenness in the world? Um, uh, you know, wh what about like wh where it seems that science and scripture kind of don't li uh, line up? What, what do we do with those kinds of things? And so, but it just felt like every question that I was asking, it was almost like I was taking another step into the ocean and it just was getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And at one point, um, I just felt like I couldn't touch bottom anymore. And I just felt kind of taken up by the waves. And it just, and it was a scary season for me. And um, even like affecting, I mean, Emily and I didn't even know if we were going to stay married for a while because God was so attached to everything in our life that when I was maybe even thinking about letting go of, of God, I was letting go of everything. It was a really scary season for us. Um, but thankfully, through God's grace, um, we, we hung in there. And um, and it was, it was almost through a, a season of, of uh, learning to live our life in such a way that we had no option except to rely on God that I ended up kind of doing a trust fall into the arms of Jesus. And, and, it, was, and it was there that I learned uh, that maybe faith looks a lot more like treading water than having solid ground and just trusting um, God fully surrounding me to take care of me. So that, that's my journey with doubt. Thanks, David. Yeah, when the, David came here six years ago and we went out to lunch and I found out he had been a worship pastor at three churches, you know, you know what I did. I recruited him, right? I was like, oh, awesome. We need worship leaders. And, and he's like, well, you don't want me leading worship <laughs> is essentially what he said. And we still talked, saying that. Yeah, but. he still says that every week. Uh, we, but we talked about this and I was like, oh, no, bro, like you're exactly person I want leading. I, I know David deeply loves Jesus and loves the church, and he was wrestling with things. So do all of us. And if you doubt that doubt it should be part of a disciple's journey, just read the Psalms. Just read the Psalms. <laughs> like They're all over. Jesus, Jesus quoted from Psalm 22. Read that this afternoon. Uh, so it, it wasn't a barrier to me, and, and, and I've never regretted having you lead, because I think that while you do get angsty about what you say, it always comes from a very true place. And I think that's the best uh, types of worship leaders. Sherry, um, talk to us a little bit about um, your journey with doubt. Yeah, well, like David, I was raised in a pastor's home. So there was never a time that, you know, I didn't know about God and we didn't talk about God in our home. 
And um, I remember as a child into my teen years, struggling off and on with just doubt, like, what if this is not true? What if we're all just buying a lie? And so I would have those discussions with my father on that. And um, he assured me that God's, I could count on God's presence. I could count on God's love. Uh, I could count on God's power and that these kind of questions were normal. And um, so I was able by God's grace to really experience God in, by the time I was a young adult and had, I got that God is a relationship. God really is present to me. God really does love me. And, and uh, then I got married and my husband and I are kind of like go get him people. So I like to say we, we were just like, if you, if you believe it and decide you're going to do it, you can do it. You can execute. We were those people. Um, you go up, you go to the right, and, you know, you kind of, everything works out. Well, of course, that's not real life. And we had uh, came across difficulties in employment, difficulties in our marriage. And then I began to really wrestle with, uh, I would say my doubt was, does God even see us? Does God love us? Can God redeem this? Uh, so I got to struggle again with doubt and um, and trust God to get me through it. But it would be it would be hard hard struggles. So yeah, I, that's my experience with personally how yeah. God has shaped me through that. Yeah, I know that's really surface, but uh, thanks to both of you for sharing vulnerability. And of course, you're you're not alone in, in a room this size. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, uh, like like I said with suffering last week. It's not it's not if suffering comes, it's when, and when suffering comes, how are you going to respond? Was a question we kept asking. I think the same is true of doubt. I think there's a very small select group of people that maybe go throughout their spiritual journey with God and following Jesus don't have any doubts. I think most people do, and it's just a common part of of living by faith. So maybe you're in that, maybe you're in the throes of that right now, uh, or maybe you kind of put a pin on the things you're learning today for when it comes. Uh, so whether it's someone in it, whether they'll, they'll be there, what advice uh, do the two of you have? I'm sure you've learned some things like, hey, here's some good things to do. Here's some maybe things not to do that, that aren't helpful. And we'll start with you, Sherry. You have a really interesting perspective because I know you're not going to get into anybody's personal stories and that wouldn't be appropriate, but you you've walked with hundreds of people, literally, um, who are bearing their souls and trusting you and you're listening and you're asking good questions. What have you learned from that perspective on some things like this is a helpful way to think about doubt and navigate and maybe some unhelpful things as well? Well, doubt and having your faith challenged is a normal part of a Christian journey, right? It's normal. So I think a lot of people come into it thinking it should go up and to the right and this isn't normal and something's wrong with me. So the first thing I want to do is normalize that and just say, take a breath. This is normal. In fact, God uses this process to enlarge our view of who God is. And so we can talk about that. And, and so usually I start by talking about and, and I get to do this, I get to talk myself through this time and time again. Um, you know, we as, as human beings, we want to feel control, we want to feel certainty, um, and, and we develop those, those constructs as people, but we also are part of churches that develop those constructs of how we can be certain about things, how we can know, but life defies that. So I, I try to help us look at, um, sometimes we build a little box 
of, of, of certainty and this little box of safety where we feel in control, but that box can't stand up to suffering and it can't stand up to times where we're disoriented. It can't stand up to times where we feel like God has just stepped away and we don't have that connection to God that we enjoyed. And so um, we kick around for a while with that and, um, and eventually we wear ourselves out and we kind of put the white flag up and say, I've got to break out of this box. So spiritual direction can help people say, what if God wasn't in your box? Because he doesn't do boxes. We're the ones that tell him, you know, I'm doing this and you need to do this, God. He doesn't roll like that. So what if we were to believe God was outside of that box? What if we were believing that what was happening was happening for us and not to us? Yeah, that's I, in my pastoral ministry, I, I think people have three basic false caricatures of, of faith. And I mentioned two of them at the top of the message, but uh, faith is not built on reason. So you don't need to think, you know, this isn't about that. It can just be blind faith. And I think that's not biblical at all. Or faith that doesn't involve action. So this would be the other side of that. It's all up in my head. I don't need to do anything. Just kind of sit here and let go and let God. But I think the third is that faith is certainty, which of course it's not. I mean, I think it's become an idol that, and, I, and you see this beyond faith. You see it in the political world. You see it everywhere, right? We, I like the box thing. We have this box, and then I'm just going to die on this hill. It has to be this. And, and I think what I hear in, in Sherry's advice, and what we talk about, I think, a good bit here is, is humility. It's such a core part of being a disciple of Jesus. I've had you repeat what the Apostle Paul says, that, and he's the Apostle Paul. He says, I know in part. I know in part. And it's so crucial for us to have humility. Of course, we're called to believe things and believe them deeply and passionately. We can also be that kind of community. But when I'm talking with someone who disagrees with me, I'll lay out humbly what I believe and I almost always say, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And I think if we carry ourselves holding fiercely to something, but also holding it up to the Lord, knowing that God's so much bigger than we could ever ask or imagine or think. And of course, for all of eternity, we're going to be realizing new things about God. So to think that you have it locked in today, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of a ludicrous proposition. So I think that brings the humility of spirit. So thanks for that. David, what, what about you? What are in your journey? I know uh, you, you, uh, you joked with me once that you started deconstructing before it was cool to do so. So you're, a guy, you're kind of a deconstruction guru. You're a veteran now, and you've kind of, I, I don't know if you would say it this way, but I think you kind of come out the other side, which I think seeing people do deconstruction in healthy ways, I've seen them have greater faith, right? They're not scared of the questions, and they come out with a, with a more robust, grittier faith. I've seen that in you, and I know that you don't like to talk that way about yourself, um, but I've seen that. And so what have you learned? I know you do lots of coffees and lunches with people that hear about your journey. It's like, hey, can I talk to you? I'm in kind of the throes of this right now. What are some good things, some bad things as you navigate doubt? Um, man, uh, well, one, I would say that assuming, well, I would, I would frame it differently. I would say that I don't know that I'm through it. I think that I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that I'm now continually in the midst of it, like where God is, in, as God invites me to step through a, a new door, uh, more growth, but like it's always a, a kind of letting go of old ways of seeing things and, and moving closer and closer and closer to who Jesus is and who Jesus is inviting me to be. Um, so, so I, I don't know. I, I would say that my, my first, uh, real, you know, as John of the cross calls it dark night of the soul, um, season, it was, it felt like everything was falling apart. 
And now I go through things all like pretty regularly where I'm constantly being invited into new things where I'll read a, an, an author that will kind of help me reframe parts of scripture that I've always understood and, and letting go of my kindergarten understanding of it and moving into a deeper uh, reality. But, um, but, but maybe like it, it becomes less scary because I just go, oh, I've been through this before. I can, like God brought me through it last time. God can bring me through it again. And so to kind of lean into relationships where friends are going through that first version of it and to go, you know, I think that God's in this. What, if, what is God saying in this? What if this is actually him inviting you to lean in more um, instead of run away? I don't know. Did I... No, that's Did I you, say any heresy there. No, so use the analogy in the in the first service. You use this analogy uh, of the 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 building across from where we go oh, yeah. spiritual direction. I thought yeah. that was helpful. So yeah. share that. So with there's us. there's a there's a company uh, free advertisement uh, in in Portland in southeast Portland uh, called the Deconstruction Company. I think is what it's and they've got the sign and it and that so they their whole thing is. Uh, remodeling, but instead of demolition, they do deconstruction. So Emily and I bought a house uh, that was built in 1942 with a lot of love and care. And it's got like all these cool, like this wood trim and these old windows that we love. And, um, and over the years, things have been, things have happened to the house that we would like to kind of bring it back to its original character. And this is going to be a whatever until we die project, I think in this place. But but, you know, this, instead of just coming in with a sledgehammer, this company, the deconstruction company, like their whole thing is they come in and they very carefully take down the, the picture railings and they carefully remove those windows and restore them and put them back in as they were intended to be. And I, I think that that's what deconstruction is in its, in its healthy way of approaching it. And I think so often people say, oh, I'm, I'm deconstructing my faith. Um, what they really mean is... Uh, I took a sledgehammer to it. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. And what really deconstruction is, is exactly what Jesus did when he said, you've heard it say, but I say to you. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you. You mentioned the word uh, fear. I want to highlight that. I mean, you mentioned the word humility, which I think that's a key thing in this journey. But fear as well. It's like I've, I've said this to so many followers of Jesus in the last couple of years. There's people that are trying to operate in what I call the fear economy. They're trying to work us with fear and manipulate us with fear. And that could be a Bible teacher. It could be a politician. It could be watch for that. Be people of wisdom. When people are trying to work you with fear or you're feeling fearful, that's not Jesus. That's not the Holy Spirit. There's nothing to be fearful about trying to pursue what is true and what is right. We should not be people of fear. Then the opposite of fear is love. We should be people of love. So I heard you mention that word fear and I wanted to highlight that. And even if you go away from today and you're wrestling with doubt and you think humility and not fear, you know, that kind of deal, I think that will be helpful. Um, so I wanna uh, kind of, as we bring the time to a close, uh, there's people in the room that may not be in the throes of doubt right now. We all will be at some point, uh, but they're walking with someone who is. And I found that uh, really daunting and difficult. Uh, you both mentioned your marriages, uh, and it, it, you don't have to be married to, to think through these lenses. It could be a good friend, it could be a coworker, it could be a college roommate, it could be an aunt or uncle, or somebody that at one point, you know, I did a few, that was way back in the day, and you kind of run at a pace, right? And it, at some point, the pacing differs. And because spirituality and what we think about God is so crucial to who we are and how we're formed. And so what did you do? Like, in, you know, 
a parent-child, you know, the, uh, or a parent uh, and grandparent, or whatever it might be, uh, what's some advice, again, you've had a front row seat shared to hundreds of people, what advice would, would you give us, and then we'll come back to you, David, on just advice for people who are walking relationally with someone who's in a different place spiritually and maybe in the throes of doubt, and, you're, and that person isn't at the time? I would say um, we need to learn how to not trivialize it and to hold space for it and to really respect um, and honor someone who's going through a period of doubt and questioning and and just really make space for it. I think that that's something that um, a healthy community does for each other as we walk with each other and we pray for each other. We believe and hope for each other when, when the one we love can't do that, can't believe and hope. So um, I, I just think it's a very sacred, we, God remember it's a sacred space. And um, I, I shared the story last service of <clears throat> our son uh, told me at one point, you know, I, I, I love God, but I, I am frustrated with the church. I'm kind of taking some things apart. And mom, I just don't know if on this journey, I'm going to land where you want me to land. I don't know where it's going, but I need to be true to this process. And I just said, I totally respect that. And I, this is what I know. I know God loves you and I know God has you. And, um, and I, you know, believed and hoped for him. And it kept the dialogue open, you know. We could, we could continue to revisit what God was doing. And we still do to this day because I think he's still on that journey. But um, I, I, I see and he would say, he sees that he's loved and held by God. He would, he would say that. Yeah, that, on the other side of that, like I had a conversation with my dad, um, maybe TMI, it was in a hot tub. It was great. It's the best time, best place yeah. to have a conversation that's, with your old man, TMI. right? Yeah, too, too much? Too much, yeah. uh, Can we edit that out on the live stream, guys? Thanks. Um, no, we were, we were sitting in his backyard and just we... We, we went into this depth of conversation in my own wrestling and my own, like, just reframing of Scripture and just, just saying, he was saying, so what, what is it about uh, the Bible right now that's just not, where, where are you finding all of this tension and this angst? And I said, well, I mean, just look at the first couple chapters. I mean, if you, if you like, scholars who've done the math say that, like it must have been that the earth was created six or 7,000 years ago or whatever, but we can look out from, we can look out in telescopes and see that in every direction uh, we can see about 13.8 billion light years. We know how fast light travels. That means that this is how old the universe is. And um, so those two things are intention, going back to exactly what we were talking about a couple weeks ago. And he said, well, why are you starting there? And I said, well, because it's page one. Like where else would I start, right? And he said, well, what about, what, well, what if the Bible is a book that really only fully makes sense if it's read in reverse? Like, what if you start with the cross and work your way backwards? And he said, what if, what if maybe Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what, if, what if that becomes your new starting place? Like, do you think that the world would be better if we loved our enemies? Like, is there something that resonates with you about uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Go, yes, absolutely, that's resonant. He said, okay, well, if that teaching seems true and trustworthy, perhaps the teacher is true and trustworthy. And perhaps other things that he says are trustworthy. And, um, 
And so you can kind of work your way out from there and come to kind of understand and trust this unfolding narrative of, of God revealing God's self through his people. And, um, and so that was kind of just a reframing for me. It kind of helped me. It, that was one of the first steps in me kind of letting go of some of that angst and some of that doubt in an unhealthy way and moving into that doubt as an invitation, as a prerequisite for faith. So. It's interesting, both of you mentioned child-parent relationships. And again, you may not have children, but you are a child of parents. So those dynamics are a good illustration of where this can come into play. And uh, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I, please hear me, I make mistakes w with our girls. You talk to them today, they're around. Uh, my <laughs> deepest desire is they follow Jesus. But to be honest, like in my brokenness, my deepest desire is that they be made in the image of their dad sometimes, right? That they think the same way as me, and they, you know, follow the same doctrinal. This, that. And I think uh, I saw that in youth ministry for 18 years, and the parents that were driven by fear and driven by control, it never went well. It just never went. I understood it. I understand it today. It's deep in our bones and it comes from a good place, but it has to be freedom. And increasingly as our girls are becoming teenagers and it, I think of it more like a banquet table. And I think this is a good analogy for anyone we're in relationship with. Here's the kingdom. Here's, here's Jesus. Here's the truth. And let's break bread and talk about it. And you're invited to the feast. And, uh, but it, they may not end in exactly the same place. And I think to your point, David, I, there's this analogy in, in military strategy called uh, dying on the hill. And it's kind of a weird, weird term. Maybe it's coming back into play with, with warfare once again, uh, front and center in the headlines. But when you're strategizing taking a territory, um, there's hills that are worth holding and dying for, because this will determine the ultimate battle if you hold this hill. And then there's ones like, why die for that hill? That, that hill's inconsequential. And I literally am racking, banging my head against the wall these last couple of years. And I do it too as a follower of Jesus, seeing the church and followers of Jesus dying on the wrong hill. I'm just like, ah, you know, don't die on that hill. Another way I think of it is concentric circles. Like at the heart of the faith is, is the cross and the resurrection, the great creeds. That's the hill to die on. And we want to be a church here that is, we're, we're developing deeper faith in those things. But we often start to try to find unity and community way out here on these things that are just not that important. And of course we're not, and then we fight and we go to our own tribes and we never, instead of starting here and being formed in the identity in Jesus, and then we move out from here and it makes these conversations easier to have. So just a couple of thoughts as you walk with people on those things, keep the main thing the main thing. Don't die on the wrong hill. I, I hear you guys uh, saying that. So let's close our time with just, is there a, is there a book or a YouTube video or a podcast series or, something that's been impactful for you or people that you've walked with. If people today, and we have listed some resources, and I think you'll mention a few of them um, for each of these uh, messages we have if you want to find those, but put it in people's minds and hearts as they leave today. Like, what, what's something that you would recommend reading or listening to? Yeah, I would recommend, there's a, uh, our friend A.J. Swoboda wrote a great book last year um, called uh, After Doubt that I would highly recommend. And he and Nije Gupta, who I saw earlier, like they have a podcast called Faith and Doubt, which I also, I love and highly recommend. Check that out. Um, and then also not necessarily talking about, not talking about this specifically, but there are a couple authors that I just keep going back to whenever I'm feeling, I'm feeling um, 
kind of discouraged or full of doubt about the hope, like about the about the future of the church or whatever it is, I'll lean into two authors specifically, uh, Dallas Willard and Eugene Peterson, who just both represent. Like it's just for me, it's like okay, good. There are people who who I long to like who are, who are communicating what I long to see and experience in the church. I would say that um, faith is lived out by lived experience, and it includes doubt. And um, I think God invites us to, in the relationship with him to bring doubt. I think it's perfectly fine. He says, bring it. I can take it. I can take it when you say, I, I, I really want to trust you, God, but I can't trust you right now. He's fine. You, even expressing that, you're fighting for that relationship with God, and he loves it. So, um, and, and, I, and every time we do that, and we, we respond in humility, he is more, he is larger. And when God is larger and we, we can see better who we are to God, and then that, that just opens up our identity in him. So I'm supposed to be talking about resources. I just wanted to say that before I said, one practice that I suggest and I've done myself is to take colored pencils or crayons and on a simple piece of paper, draw a road and then go back through the landscape of your life and remember as early as you can all of the God sightings when God showed up and in big ways and you knew it was God and you knew you were loved and you knew it was this came from the hand of God and write a monument or an Ebenezer there and do that all along. And I promise you, do, going and revealing, uh, remembering that landscape um, because we're people who forget, right? As soon as something wonderful happens, we forget. So go back and remember, and your mind will be blown. From that viewpoint, you can look back and say, wow, look what he's done. Look how much he loves me. So that's what I would suggest. Great. Um, I'll share one thing as we close, but uh, Sherry, I'm going to ask you to pray for us in, in just a second. Um, I read this the other day, and I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, this author said when, when she gets all worked up, it could be politics, it could be the state of the church, it could be somebody that's wounded her, and she's doubting uh, that she seeks beauty. And I love that. You know, we've been going after these things that the way of Jesus is good and beautiful and true. And she said there's just something about beauty that, that she can tether her soul to that draws her forward into the hopes of something better. And if you guys ever saw the movie Shawshank Redemption, kind of a classic movie, and you remember uh, it, uh, Morgan Freeman, his play that person, he locks himself in the, the office, that he puts on the opera, and he's like, I don't know what those two Italian ladies were singing, but the whole, you know, all these hardened criminals, just the beauty of the music, or go for a hike, or read a beautiful book, or poetry, or hang out with children and do Legos, that's beautiful. Seek beauty. And I think it softens our hearts towards the things of the Lord. So uh, that would be mine that I'm trying to practice. Uh, so can you pray for us, Sherry? Father, Son, and Spirit, we are in awe of you and how much you are that we don't know. We will never tap into who you are, the fullness of you. And yet, Lord, at the same time, you know us on a micro level. And you invite us to be in relationship with you. And Lord, this is too wonderful for us. Thank you for creating us human and using the stuff of our lives to reveal you. And that includes doubt, Lord. Mm -hmm. um, 
we just uh, we um, surrender in, in deep humility and, and agree to be human and agree for you to be God. And so we can continue to seek more and more of you. Thank you for this time together, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Can we thank uh, David and Sherry? So we're going to have a little bit of a responsive time. So kind of the room is, is yours and uh, open our hearts and our bodies to the Holy Spirit. So one of those ways that we do every week is, is practicing the Lord's Supper. That is a tangible way we can remember. So if you have your cups, have those ready. We'll start our time with that. Uh, Mark and the team will uh, lead us in two worship songs. That's a tangible way uh, we can respond bodily. Uh, but I think at the beginning, the, the, we'll start singing the song, come on, but there'll be no lyrics, as we want to remind you to go to the two tables. Um, I really want you to do this as, as apprentices of Jesus. Brain science tells us when our bodies get up and do something, we write something down and we feel the paper and we pin it to a board, we're likely to remember. It shapes us. It has a shaping influence. And you're also sharing it with your community. We'll do some things with these cards uh, to remind us and shape us as a community. So you're also contributing uh, to others. So again, uh, this is the release board, something you're wrestling with, something maybe you have released by God's grace or you want to release, something you're angry about the church or someone who's hurt you or a question you have about God. It's a safe place. Don't be fearful. Uh, put it up there for all to see. And then a hopeful thing, something you realize in this series or just in your journey that you want to share with others about the church, about yourself, about the Lord. Uh, put it up there and share it. Um, so I want to invite you to that. Uh, as we go to the table, going back to that, the story with Peter, I, th I think it's a, we misunderstand the story when we think that Peter began to sink because he didn't have enough faith. Uh, Jesus said, uh, even the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. I don't think it's the quantity of Peter's faith that was the problem, or any of us. I think it was the quality. Uh, we all have faith in something. Uh, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's science, maybe it's uh, a, a, a sports team, uh, a, a, a politician. Uh, we go on and on. We're people of faith. We all have faith in something. Is, is our faith placed in something that's worthy of our faith? And so when Peter began to sink, I think he got out of the boat enamored with Jesus and uh, fueled by his faith placed in the incarnate God, and it held him up. It allowed him to walk on water. And at some point, the circumstances took over, and his faith reverted back to himself. And when that happens with me, that's, that's a no-go. That's not good. And that's when he began to sing. And Jesus was loving towards him. So I want you to think about that as this is why we come to the table. Like, this is where our faith should be placed in Jesus and God who put on flesh and broke his body and spilled his blood for us that we may be made right with God and one another and re-enter the world to our proper calling of making all things right in cooperation with God. So the scriptures tell us on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup and <clears throat> said, this cup is the sign of the new covenant, which is given in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance <clears throat> of me. You may go ahead and take the elements. And uh, if you're willing and able, stand with us for worship and begin to make your way uh, to the tables. <clears throat>